0: our passage this morning is Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. As we're stepping our way through the Beatitudes together, we just talked about how Jesus has these multifaceted aspects of his identity. We talked about how he is God with us. He is also our king. That's another important aspect of who Jesus is. When we think about Jesus and relate to Jesus, He is our king, so we worship him, but we also belong to him like citizens belong to their king. We're citizens of his kingdom together. When Jesus came out, first preaching and teaching, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now he's starting to teach what that kingdom is actually like. It's not a matter of violently overthrowing their Roman oppressors. It's different than that. And these beatitudes are kind of explaining the character of kingdom citizens. What is celebrated in the kingdom of heaven? What is commended in the kingdom of heaven? This is what the blessed life of the kingdom citizen looks like. This is what kingdom citizens value, what their character looks like. So different nations become known for different value and different character. People around the world would likely think of Americans and associate them with freedom, that's a big value for us as Americans. Uh, the folks that I know, like in our neighborhood and personally who are from Mexico, I associate them with values related to family, but they're always surrounded by huge extended families. There's just a clear love there for their families. Uh, our northern neighbors, Canadians, I don't know any, they may value like warm socks or something like that or <laughs> maple syrup. The kingdom of heaven has its own character, and its own values that are distinct from any other nation in the world. And we as kingdom citizens should expect to be distinct as from our, our ultimate eternal nation, the kingdom of heaven. So very briefly, we've seen already as we've worked our way through these, what's called the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. So as kingdom citizens, we recognize our spiritual need and we gain the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. As kingdom citizens, we are deeply grieved and mournful over our own sin and brokenness and unrighteousness and the brokenness that we see around us. But we receive comfort in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek. As kingdom citizens, we're humble toward God and toward people. Because we have nothing to bring to the table other than what God has given us. We have no right to be arrogant or brash or anything like that. But we inherit... The earth, we know that we're going to receive an inheritance because of what Jesus has accomplished. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So as kingdom citizens, we hunger and thirst for more of God's righteousness in ourselves and in this world around us. We love it. We crave it. And we find satisfaction in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the merciful. As kingdom citizens, we move toward other people with compassion Because we have received so much compassion and mercy from God. And then last week we saw blessed are the pure in heart. So as kingdom citizens, we love purity. In a world that loves impurity, we love purity. And through Jesus Christ, we've received new hearts that are pure and clean. And so we get to see God as kingdom citizens. And we're going to add another one today, and it's verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. So as citizens of the kingdom, we value peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And before we think about making peace, let's make sure we understand what the Bible means when it talks about peace. We have to kind of step out of our modern American perspective a little bit and gain a biblical perspective, which is a little bit broader and a little bit more concrete than what we often think about when we think peace. When you hear the word peace, you probably first think about emotional peace. That tranquility and calmness, the absence of anxiety, the absence of stress. And the Bible does have that in view when it uses the word peace. But there's more to it. And here I think he's emphasizing a different aspect of peace. The Bible, when it says peace, is thinking about a wholeness and harmony in relationship with God and other people. A wholeness and harmony in relationship with God and other people. And from that, emotional peace can grow. Apart from that, there really can be no emotional peace. But here I think he's thinking about relational terms. So when you're thinking about blessed are the peacemaker, peacemakers, don't think so much about emotional peace. Think about relational peace. First, peace with God, secondarily, peace with other people. Now just to show you that this is not something that I'm coming up with out of thin air. I think he's talking about peace in a similar sense that he's using the word in Matthew chapter ten verses thirty four through thirty nine. This can be confusing at first because he says there in Matthew ten thirty four, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So here in this passage, he's talking about a certain type of peace, and the opposite of it isn't a freedom from anxiety. I mean, the opposite of this piece is not anxiety or stress. It's relational discord. So he's saying there's a sense in which my influence is going to set you at odds with other people. So as we look back at our beatitude blessed are the peacemakers, we need to be thinking in these relational terms. So if you could time travel and take a modern, America, a modern American back, put them right beside an ancient Israelite who is reading this, and they're both pursuing peace, The modern American might have like a yoga mat under his arm, some anxiety pills rattling in his pocket, some breathing exercises, because our approach to peace is almost purely emotional. We just need to settle our emotions. That's what we have to do. But biblically, it gets down a little bit beneath that, and it's relational. So the ancient Israelite pursuing peace would probably be thinking, well, I need peace with God. How can I, I need to sacrifice an animal or something. I need to somehow make peace with God, and I need peace with my fellow man, those around me. Now, I know we do crave emotional peace. We live in a stressed-out, restless age, and people crave emotional peace. I just three quick things related to that as we proceed to understand this, beatitude: Relational peace that Jesus brings very well can lead to emotional peace, and often does. When your relationship with God is made right, and then from that your relationships with other people starts to get healed and made right, you will very likely experience more emotional peace. Now I say very likely because there are certainly Christians who are reconciled to God and other people who still struggle with a lack of emotional peace. But that's the first thing I'll say. The second thing is there can really be no emotional peace apart from relational peace with God and other people. And I think that's one reason why our world is so desperate for peace that they can't find it because they're not trying to heal their relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And therefore, they'll never be able to experience soundness emotionally. It's impossible. We are inherently relational people because we're made in God's image. So, just at the outset, don't believe the modern lie that you can feel at peace without being at peace with God. Peacemaking begins with God. The fundamental human problem is the broken relationship with God. That's why I'm right in line with Graham and Cadell, and they say what they really want to do this week is bring the good news of Jesus Christ to teenagers, because their fundamental problem is their broken relationship with God. If I broke my arm this morning, just fractured every bone in it, the problem wouldn't be, oh, I can't pick up my coffee cup. The problem wouldn't be, oh, I can't comb my hair. I just need to find a way around it and figure out how to comb my hair with my left hand and pick up my coffee cup with my left hand. The problem is that break, that broken bone. We're living around people who are trying to solve the symptoms of their broken relationship with God all the time, always trying new ways around their symptoms, always frustrated, always moving on to another attempt. We know how true peace is found, though. It starts with God. The good news is that God has made peace. I want to read Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Let's listen to the language of this. I think this, this passage helps us understand that beatitude so well. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. <clears throat> it says, Therefore, remember, at one time you Gentiles... those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And we'll stop there, but it goes on and say we're no longer strangers and aliens. So when we think about peacemaking, it is what God has done for us through Jesus Christ that is the model and the basis and the source for any peacemaking that God's citizens might do. We were separated, we were alienated, we were estranged, there was hostility, there was enmity. Between us and God That Jesus himself is our peace He broke down the wall of hostility And reconciled us In his flesh on the cross So what does any of this have to do With us being peacemakers We're the only ones who are at peace with God Because of what Jesus has done That is the fundamental human problem There's only one solution is faith and allegiance to Jesus Christ, who has broken down the wall of hostility. And as Christians, we're the only ones who have that. We're the only ones who have that news. We're the only ones that have that sure footing to stand on. In a world where people are desperate and crazy, clamoring to find peace, we know where it is. So we're the only people capable of true peacemaking. And this is our temple, Jesus' radical self-sacrifice in order to reconcile people to God. That's how we came to be in the kingdom, and that's who we are as citizens of the kingdom. So to be a peacemaker, going back to our original verse, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. To be a peacemaker is to overcome hostility through the love of Jesus Christ. And first and foremost, that means overcoming the hostility between God and people. Seeing people reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ is where it all begins. It makes sense with the flow of thought of the Beatitudes. So verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He goes on a little bit further in verse 38, which we'll see in a few weeks. It says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, let them go two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So, this DNA of self sacrificially responding to hostility in the name of Jesus is inherent in us as kingdom citizens. We're to be out there reprogrammed by Jesus' reconciling work in us to operate in the world according to those principles. So we're out there in the world kind of like these acoustic panels are here in this room. We set these up whenever we set these up a couple of years ago to keep it from being so echoey in here. And if you put your ear next to one, you'll feel like you're going deaf in that ear because it's not spitting back any of the, the sound waves back out. We as Christians are out in the world like these acoustic panels. Hostility bouncing off the walls every which way. But we've been changed through Jesus Christ and reprogrammed not to respond to reviling with reviling, not to respond to evil with evil, but instead to know our role as peacemakers. We make peace by pointing to Jesus, we make peace by operating like Jesus. In this case, in those passages, refusing to retaliate and even being generous to those who mistreat us. So while the world celebrates clobbering one another when there is hostility, we as kingdom citizens celebrate gentleness, calmness, lovingly pointing people to Jesus. So if you look at YouTube, you'll see uh, videos that get a lot of watches are the ones titled something like uh, Jordan Peterson destroys journalists, or Ben Shapiro obliterates leftists. Like we don't, we're not trying to obliterate we're not trying to destroy we're trying to make peace by pointing people to Jesus Christ so we don't, we don't yes, make them look like an idiot crush them into powder we want people to come to faith in Jesus Christ we don't shoot back reviling for reviling we don't shoot back evil for evil we can absorb all of that and point people to Jesus Christ that's our role And the world does seem to be increasingly hostile toward the kingdom of heaven and toward Jesus Christ. Now things can fluctuate. I'm no expert on cultural trends, and I would pretend to be. It might be that tomorrow things may feel easier as Christians, but it seems like the trajectory is it's getting worse. It's getting harder. What do we do? Do we prepare? Do we put on our, our spiritual brass knuckles and prepare to fight it out with people who disagree with us? No, we do what 1 Peter 3, 9 says. Do not pay, repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So this is the blessed way that we see as kingdom of heaven citizens. We're going to be peacemakers. It doesn't mean you don't speak the truth, but you speak the truth in love. You speak it from meekness, gentleness, and humility, knowing that apart from Jesus' intervention, we would be as far away from God as we possibly could be. We haven't achieved anything. We have been granted mercy and grace, and so we humbly point people to Jesus Christ. And it is the blessed way. It says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. When we make peace the way Jesus makes peace, we're called sons of God. And that's not like earning sonship by God. That's like when I tell a kid that goes outside and doesn't shut the door on the way, shut the door. I sound exactly like Brian going away. I sound exactly like my dad. Because when I operate the way he operates, I'm clearly his son. When when I um, see Elias's love for movies, I'm like, well, he's my son. That's I've always had that. When we operate this way by being peacemakers, we're resembling our father. This is what Jesus meant when he said in John chapter 8, he talks about the religious Jews and he says, well you're just like your father the devil. He's a murderer and a liar and that's what you guys are doing. He's saying you guys are just resembling his family resemblance. Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of God as beloved children. I have this picture of me as a little kid, really little, in my dad's giant work boots. And I was just trying to imitate Dad. You know, Dad put on his work boots to go out, and I put on his giant work boots to shuffle around. I have a picture of Elias uh, way back when we lived in Albemarle wearing my giant tennis shoes when he was a little kid. <laughs> when we're peacemaking, that's kind of what we're doing. We're putting on God's big shoes. We don't fill them in perfectly. We don't wrap them it perfectly, but we're imitating our Father and we are peacemakers. One more passage, we're going to get to this in a few weeks as well. This is Matthew 5, 43 and on. Here I think he's elaborating a little bit on what he means here in this beatitude. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Does God only love those who love him back? Nobody loves God until God loves them. So God does not love us in response to our love toward him. He initiated that. He came to us while we were rebels, kicking and screaming against him. And so when we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, we're sons of our Father who is in heaven. He goes on to say, for he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's nothing distinct about us as Christians if we're nice to those who are nice to us, but cruel to those who are cruel to us. Anybody does that. What's distinct about us as kingdom citizens is that we project love of Jesus Christ to all indiscriminately. Even if we're being persecuted, we still love, we still pray for them, we still hope that they will come to faith in Jesus Christ because we know we would be them apart from what Jesus has done for us. So I think it's pretty easy to understand this beatitude. and I think the application is pretty clear. I think pursuing this kind of peacemaking is way more concrete than pursuing emotional peace. You can do this even when you don't feel emotionally peaceful you still pursue peace with God through Jesus Christ for yourself and others. So the first step in applying this would just be to be reconciled to God. Now I know everybody in here pretty well, but I want to continue to hold the gospel out in front of you. It is possible that you can grow up in church and do churchy things and come to church and yet not be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That is the starting place. If you have any misconception that you're righteous in and of yourself because of your Your moral goodness or your religious activities. It's like filthy rags to God. Our only basis of being right with God is faith in Jesus Christ. And it's the perfect basis. It it covers everything. It cleanses you from past sin, present sin, future sin. It's such good news. So step one, be reconciled to God. Pursuing emotional peace without that is so futile. Yeah, the Father's Day, Meredith and our family celebrated Father's Day um, on Friday instead of today because we had stuff going on today. And so I was out doing work all day and Meredith was at home making this crock pot of, I don't know what it's actually called, but it's called Chinese ribs. It's uh, ribs that are awesome and <laughs> served over rice that is really good. It's one of my favorite dishes. And so when I came in the door from working all day, it smelled like Chinese ribs in the house. And that's a great smell. But it's because there were actually Chinese ribs there. There was in the crockpot. Trying to pursue emotional peace without peace with God would be like, let's give the Chinese rib-scented candle or something. Let's let's try to generate the smell of ribs. Let's try to generate the sensation of peace without the reality of peace. It's futile. There's no point in it. It's not going to work. A rib-scented candle is not going to be good. Emotional peace apart from peace with God wouldn't be good either. Be reconciled to God. That's step one. As we think about our family members, people we love who are not at peace, who are just ripped apart by turmoil in every way, we want their life to get put back together and be smoother. Sure, because we care about them, We don't want them to be in pain. But what they need is that that broken arm fix. What they need is to be reconciled with God. That is the first step. And then, once reconciled to God, we make peace like our Father makes peace. Like he made peace with us through Jesus Christ. We refuse to retaliate. It's not who we are as kingdom citizens. It's not a value that we hold as citizens of the kingdom. We will be generous with those who mistreat us. We value that as kingdom citizens. That's how God was toward us. We're going to love those who persecute us. We may encounter like real persecution, not just like, a little bit of discomfort, Or a sensation of being marginalized. We might actually be persecuted. It's good to go ahead and set this in place now. We value loving those who persecute us as Christians. We value praying for those who persecute us as Christians. So we'll know how to respond if it comes up. And we'll respond now in prayer. It might be that you are at odds with someone. As a citizen of the kingdom, you kind of know what to do with that now. Pray for that person. Pray that they'll be reconciled to God. Pray that you can be reconciled to them. Let's pray about that together right now. Father, thank you for giving us this word. Help us to receive it deep down in our hearts, not just intellectually to understand it, but to be transformed by it. Lord, I pray that each one of us here, anybody that listens to this on Facebook, would be reconciled to you through Jesus. That you would bring about faith in Jesus Christ. That they would experience an end to the separation from you, the alienation, the estrangement, the hostility. You would adopt them as your, your children through Jesus. And I pray that we as a church, that all your Christians would operate like your sons. That we would be peacemakers out there here in this world of war. And if there's anything specific that any of us needs to do in response to this, would you please make that plain to us now? If there's some relationship in which we just need to apologize, or some relationship in which we just need to forgive, or someone who's been mistreating us and we've been responding with mistreatment back to them. Lord, would you please transform us to operate as peacemakers according to your word in Jesus name. Amen.